Hi there, welcome along to this bonus episode from the High Performance Podcast. People kept on saying to us, I love what you do, but I just want more. So we decided to just sometimes release extra episodes for you to enjoy. And I think this week you are going to really get a lot from this person. I will almost guarantee that you've clicked on this podcast, having never heard of the person that you're about to hear talk to us. But I really want you to go into this with an open mind and realize that being high performance doesn't just mean being high profile. Just a quick reminder that you can find us on Instagram. You can follow us on YouTube. We'd love it if you can rate and review the podcasts. But for now, to help you get towards the weekend, here is an extra special episode from the High Performance Podcast. Enjoy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey and you're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet and aims to unlock the very secrets to their success. As always, Damien Hughes is alongside me and Damien, we've always been clear that we don't want this to be a podcast about sport. Yep. And I think today's guest is a great mix of someone who has experience of business yet was brave enough, and bravery is a recurring theme on our podcast, yet brave enough to walk away from that to focus on a career in the music industry, which is in some ways similar to sport in that it's high achieving, it's unforgiving, it's relenting. Yeah, yeah I'm really excited about this. I love this idea of reinvention, just from like having the courage to say, I'm on one particular pathway and I want to choose a different pathway. So I'm really excited about exploring that that leap into the unknown and, and and what it takes to do that. Right, let's leap in then and understand a bit more about a lady who has bravery at the absolute heart of her decision-making. She left college because it was frustrating. She walked away from a great career in finance because it didn't suit her. She then put her own money and all her energy into a music talent management business with one of her artists recently getting four Grammy nominations. Welcome to the podcast Charlie Pierce. Charlie, nice to have you with us. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's great to great to meet you. Let's start then, as we always do, with the question of what is high performance? What do you consider it to be? I've had to think quite a lot about this because, um, and on the way here today, I re-listened to the podcast with Holly Tucker because I really, really enjoyed that. And, you know, she kicked off by saying, I don't really know because... I don't view myself as high a high performance individual. But I think for me, it's committing to something and dedicating yourself without knowing what the road ahead is. So you have goals, you know you want to achieve something and you don't really know or in some ways care how you're going to get there. You just know you're going to make it happen. And some days are better than others. I don't buy into a high performance life where you have to be up at 
five o'clock every morning in the gym, then meditating. You know, some days you are dragging yourself out of your bed, but you do it. And high performance some days can just be you're up, you're dressed, you're on your emails by the time the US are awake. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably good for people to hear, though, because I think sometimes there is a pressure to conform. And if you're going to be a high performance individual, you have to do what everyone else does and push yourself to the limits that they've set. But actually, I think having a goal and finding a way to get there is surely the very definition of high performance. I think so. I think that as well, it's different depending on what your goal is and how quickly you want to get there, you can get there, what resources you have, what's going on in the world around you, what your environment is. You know, to say that what we thought was going to happen this year and actually what the reality is to different universes, let alone worlds. And it depends what is needed of you as someone that is running a business, looking after other people, trying to be a good family member, trying to be a good friend. That doesn't necessarily look the same every day. And yes, it's great to have some routine, but you also have to make it work for yourself. Like I don't get up early. I'm not an early morning person. It would be ridiculous of me to say, right, I'm going to, I don't know, start a rare breeds farm or something because I know I couldn't be successful yeah. at that. And I work a lot with America. So, you know, often I'm still online at 10, 11 o'clock at night. I don't mind that. I'm a night owl. It wouldn't work for other people. But I also try not to put myself under an amount of pressure where I'm like, well, God, like, you know, there's other people, there's other you know, fantastic high-flying entrepreneurs out there and they're all in the gym at six o'clock in the morning. Like, I'm going to burn out. It's a marathon, not a sprint. A theme that comes out when I when I looked at your history, Charlie, is this idea of you never get stuck. Becoming unstuck is a, is, is a real skill so that you seem to have, have developed. Where did that come from? So if we go back to your childhood, was that similar there that you had a lot of eclectic interests? I spent some time also thinking about this. Like I've listened to quite a few of the podcasts and I've been really, really enjoying them. Thanks. And I, I spoke to my parents about it as well oh, right. <laughs> and said, you know, what, like, what do you think? Do you think there's something like when I was really young? And I think part of it is innate. I, you know, this idea of nature versus nurture. I think there is something within me that just breeds that. I think some of that does come from my mum particularly. Um, she has run her own businesses, you know, she's... Like what? She had a catering business when my sister and I were young. So she worked in the city when I was first born. She went back to work and my grandparents looked after me. You know, she was like, and, you know, we're talking 30 few years ago. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't that common then for someone... She had me when she was slightly older and then that wasn't working for her. She thought she was missing out, wanted to have another child and just said, look, you know, I'm not, that's not for me now. And so I think for a while she probably didn't really know what she wanted to do. You know, she's always worked as well. Um, both of my parents that I can remember have always worked. We didn't always, you know, have loads of money rolling around you know definitely like you know I can remember a Christmas where I asked for a pair of Dr Martin boots and my dad went and did overtime like I was very aware that that wasn't just something that was going to come easy yep. and so that idea that to have a comfortable life um, you need to work hard and you need to find where your slot in the world is. But saying that, you know, I was probably 11 or 12 years old and my dad and I used to watch the Grand Prix together every week. And I told him one weekend out the blue, I think I want to be the first woman to win the British Grand Prix. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to say. Like I'd been in a go-kart. But... Well, what was your dad's reaction to that though, Charlie? He didn't say that's impossible. No one's ever said that is ridiculous. I mean, they may well have thought it. And I know for a fact that some of my friends have talked about it and said, do we need to stage an intervention? Is she all right? Has she completely lost <laughs> the plot? Or, you know, um, 
but I've always had that support. Do you know what I find interesting though is when you talk about the work ethic from your mum and dad, that doesn't necessarily explain fully though why you do what you do because I think you could look at your parents and go, right, they worked really hard and therefore they provided. Therefore, I just, if I find a good job, I need to stick to it. And you know, you had an amazing high-flying job in the city working for a huge business, really successful. It would have still been an okay decision for you to go, right, I've found something that pays the bills. It might not be my dream, but I remember my parents working hard and you have to work hard to buy stuff, therefore I'm going to stick to it. What they taught you doesn't explain this bravery that you've got and this ability to push past the fear. You know, we often say on this podcast, on the other side of fear, great things await. But for too many people, they can't get past the yeah. fear. What what decisions do you make? How do you decide to make that brave decision? What? How do you sort of um, wrestle with it in your mind before you decide to do it? Um I mean, I think specifically for me in the position that I was in, I worked for two large American organisations. And would you explain for listeners what you were doing as well then? Yeah, sure. So um, I was, when I left um, finance, I was working for Goldman Sachs Asset Management. So part of a much larger organisation. But I mean, I was effectively doing a lot of what I do now, but for financial products. So distribution, relationship management, it was a really great environment for a person who fitted into it, I would say, you know, and I had some really great experiences and I met some wonderful individuals. And Damien, I was listening to a podcast that you did the other day with this theory of either fit in or F off. (laughs) The FIFO effect. The FIFO effect. Um, And so I really kind of got to that point. I was like, am I going to try and fit myself in here? Because I feel like I don't 100% fit. And you're right. I could have just molded myself into that environment. And I don't know how long that would have lasted. I think that there's some people who can do that and they can just say, I'm going to do the hours that I need to do. I'm going to clock in and clock out and my work is my work and that's it. But I couldn't, that didn't marry in my mind. I wish I'd recognized that earlier because, you know, I did end up in not a great position with my own mental health and just try and trying to fit in. You know, I did for a while. I was really like, and was I'm going to make this happen. Of your mental health issues, the workplace, um, or was this something that was you think was going on anyway? No, some and some. Like I'd had a situation in the past where, you know, I struggled with my mental health and I'd had some therapy. It was the outcome of not a very good relationship. And work is just, it's another relationship, right? Like yeah. there were many things that I tried to employ from that previous assistance that I'd had in the workplace and I just couldn't make it work. And I think it is a fantastic organization. And I had some really, really great time there before I kind of came to this realization. But, but there will be people listening to this, Charlotte, that um, also work in fantastic organizations and doing jobs that they enjoy and living a life that is highly tolerable. Yeah. But they don't make the decision that you did, that they still choose to turn that voice in their head down and just focus yeah. on just the grind and getting through it. Apart from the pain of mental health issues that you suffered, what was the flip side of having the courage to go and pursue a different dream? I mean, I guess in some ways, and some of your previous guests have, have spoken about this, you kind of, you have to hit the bottom before you can bounce back up. And in a way, I personally felt like I didn't really have a lot to lose like I I felt a bit of a failure that I hadn't been able to make that environment sustainable or work for me and so going out and doing something on my own I was like well it can't feel like this does so you know why not why not just jump in but the answer to that is that you've got a a healthy paycheck every month you you've got a mortgage to pay you've got responsibilities you've got a car loan that you need to pay back that's the reason a lot of people say well why not do that that's the why not how did you override those concerns that you were facing the same as everyone else 
I mean, I was on my own. I had a mortgage and, you know, I had a lifestyle certainly that I was very used to that there have been periods in the last five and a half years where it has not felt like I, (laughs) the lifestyle that I had previously. You traded one for the other, but we'll get on to that. Exactly. I honestly don't know. I think some of it has to just be a, a bravery that came from within. I think at the time I certainly didn't think that. And I'm not sure I really think that about myself now, but... Really? You, you don't know, think you were brave? Um, I don't know. I think I see people around me who I, I view as holding a lot more bravery than I did, but maybe just in different ways, you know. See, I think it's brave to be fragile. Being fragile actually can be quite a powerful experience because to be fragile means you are being totally honest with yourself and you're accepting you've got problems, you've got issues, you've got failings, you've got limitations. And we look at all of those things in modern society as negatives, but maybe they're positives because it allows you to stop and go, right, I'm failing at this because it's not right for me. Right. Absolutely. For a lot, a good number of months, I was just trying to pick myself back up again. And, you know, I was seeing a therapist and working through like why I felt that I was the failure rather than it was a combination of factors and all of that stuff. And I, you know, one of the things when I thought about coming and having this conversation was it would be really easy for me to just sit here and say, oh, you know, I just had this revelation one day that that wasn't what I wanted to do. And, you know, I had, when I was a teenager, I had thought about doing music journalism. So music had been something that was like a bit of a recurring theme. But why have that conversation? Like, I think it's really important. And now more than ever, because there's a lot of people who are running their own businesses or who are in jobs where they might have been furloughed or, you know, are looking at at risk from redundancy and things like that. And why we have to be more open about the there are periods in your life where your mental health can really take a dent and trying to deal with that. I mean, I was very lucky. I had great resources around me. I could go and talk to people and, you know, I had a program of therapy and stuff, but not everyone has that. But I hope by being a bit more vocal about it and being vulnerable and fragile in it, it, it's important to me. So, For somebody that wouldn't necessarily have access to the therapy and the support that you described, what would you say was the biggest takeaway that anyone could access from that period of your life? In some ways, it's a bit of a cliche, but just try and set yourself some small goals and get outside And anyone who's been in that position will say, you know, that you wake up in the morning and what you want to do is just pull the duvet back over your head and disappear and not deal with anything going on around you. But actually just setting yourself a goal. And, you know, with everything that's happened this year, I could I could really feel myself kind of wavering in the wind. And I was like, right, okay, I have to I have to do something like I need to do something that's for myself, that's not a business orientated thing. And so I did couch to 5k for, I think the first, the third time in my life, (laughs) but it's given me something where I'm like that half an hour is for me and I can see myself progressing. You know, it is good for someone who is quite goal orientated to know that there's a something at the end. So what are your thoughts then on resilience and the importance of resilience in that period particularly? I think it's fine to feel that you are not always resilient. There are days where so you that, just... That's an interesting one because I think we're using social media all the time and, and we're going, yeah, you quote and you know, we both put them up out there. You know, you can make people almost feel bad by saying, you know, be resilient, be be happy, you know, push past the resilience. And... And it, it's it's almost unhealthy, I think, for some people because it's not that easy, is it? So to accept that sometimes you can't be resilient yeah. and that things are too much is. And I think important. to give yourself a day or a weekend or whatever it is that you need to regroup, 
and not punish yourself for that. I've certainly felt the pressure in the past that it's like if you're not running 100 miles an hour the whole time, up early, on emails the whole day, you know, I've also since lockdown has kind of eased a little bit I've been going to an outdoor gym two mornings a week and that time has been also really important but I had to really kind of allow myself to do that it's what many people would deem within working hours it's not so much for me because it's all shifted down in the day but it would be very easy to say I'm too busy to do that Um, but you have to be forgiving of yourself and you have to, you have to build resilience in order to be useful to other people. You know, I manage two musicians. It would do them no service at all if I, this year, were to not look after myself in the time that I need. How do you build resilience then for people that are struggling with that? I think it's finding the small things that you can say, okay, yeah, I set that goal and I achieved it and it can be the smallest anything it doesn't have to be work orientated and in fact I think if you're running your own business and you are struggling and feeling like you're losing some of your resilience one of the best things that you can do is to set yourself a goal outside of work because it 100% breeds then on into what you're trying to achieve with your business if you were giving this advice to some of the musicians and the, the, that you manage and that you support, how would you apply, how would you suggest they apply this advice? Um, man, we all try and look after each other. Both of the artists that I look after at different times have said to me, you need to look after yourself. They've told you that? Yeah, right. just the same as I would try and ensure that they are they have things around them that enable them to do their job. And that's not always easy. And it definitely hasn't been easy with Yola in the last year because we have in some ways been victims of her success in that there has been so much going on and her star has risen very quickly and at a pace where, you know, we weren't, necessarily expecting that to happen Um, and I can imagine for her success that that's led her into a place where that phrase Jake used about resilience of like from whether it's the scrutiny of social media whether it's critical judgments on on her output is more important than ever before so how do you encourage her to manage that when you're in a world of almost the unknown I mean we really and we we haven't always managed to do this in the last 18 months, two years, but trying to ensure that she's got time to do the things that she needs time and space to do in order to then pick back up, you know, this kind of old adage that you have when you're working with artists that you, you know, you get paid to do 90% of the, the stuff that no one maybe sees outwardly. Yep. And then it's 10% that you're on stage for the hour and a half show that you're doing. And that's what everyone thinks you're being paid for, but actually (laughs) it's everything else that needs to be, needs to be done. I would say that whilst lockdown and show cancellations, like it has been really, really difficult. And, um, you know, our business is decimated. I'm not sure how it will come out the other side and, uh, you know, having lots of conversations about what that looks like. But you have to find the silver lining in it, right? So Yola was desperate for a break and she wanted space and time to be able to write more and to be creative. She talks a lot and has done in interviews previously that the part of your brain that you use to write a song is completely different (laughs) to that which you use if you're on a week's media run. And good luck to the people that can sit in their hotel room after a full day of interviews and write a song. But not everyone can do that. And they need proper time to switch off, just live life like a normal human being. (laughs) And she's had that and she's really thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's not what any of us probably would have chosen, but 
her resilience certainly has been recharged because of that. Brilliant. What I find interesting is that we're talking about you managing someone's life effectively, not just their career in, in the case of Yola. And it's obviously gone well because she had a huge impact at the Grammys. And I know you were there with her and we can talk about that in a moment. But where did you get the belief from? You went to catering college. You left because other people didn't have the same drive as you. You end up working in finance. You leave because you feel like a kind of square peg in a round hole. What part of you gave you the confidence to think that you could attach yourself to an artist like Yola and possibly know how to turn her career into the career that it's turning into? That's a very interesting question because I didn't know Yola when I decided what I wanted to do. I didn't know Angelina Presley, who's the other artist who I manage. But after I had left finance, I had spent some time kind of regrouping. I did a couple of like workshops and days on career change and how to sort of manage that. And I sat down one day and I just thought, you know, I've got all of these skills, like, and I now recognize I've, I've sat down and I've talked to a career coach who has helped me to list out what it is that I can bring to a, a party kind of thing. And um, I thought, you know what, there must be somewhat like there's a job somewhere in music where I can use all of this. Like, let's. And why music, though? Just to explain that bit. Um, I've grown up around music. Like my parents are big music fans. We've always gone to concerts like, you know, they would for a Christmas or a birthday present, we might get concert tickets. Right. Um, I was a huge Oasis fan. Like if someone said they liked Blur in my presence, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, and when I was at school, I went and did a week's work experience at NME. But, you know, music had continued to be a love throughout my life. And I think you've spoken about this as, as well, like the Shakespeare quote of find your passion and you'll never do a day's work in your life. Yep. Um, and so I just thought, I think that might be what I was meant to do. And and maybe all of these years of building up business experience is bringing me to the place where I should have been in the first place. Because I've never met anyone else in music who's got 11 years of finance experience. I think a lot of people wish I didn't sometimes. But yeah, I, I literally sat there and I thought there must be someone doing this kind of job, but like for Adele. I mean, talk about aim high with your first. <laughs> Brilliant. But what I like is that, and this is why I'm so pleased you're on the podcast, is there'll be people listening to this in jobs they don't want to be in, wanting but not knowing what they can do. Yep. And what they often do is overlook their passions because I think, well, like, that's not a job, is it? I just love music. I can't get a job in the music industry. Whereas you, you were clever enough and then resilient enough and brave enough and hardworking enough and you know, risk-taking enough to go, well, I'm just going to make my passion my job. And I think that's such a strong message for so many people because there was nothing, take this in the way it's intended, there was nothing special about you. You didn't have um, 10 million pounds in the bank no. to go and do this. You didn't have amazing contacts in the music industry that no one else had. You didn't have an opportunity that other people haven't got. You just created it. Yeah, and I think what I tried to do was look at all of the tools that I had been given in that experience in finance, whether that be like, you know, the real tangible skills of I can read a legal agreement and pick out the bits that I'm worried about and then talk to a lawyer about it. I can look at a spreadsheet and a budget and see, you know, whether it's reasonable or whether things need to be challenged. And and then I coupled that with some of the softer skills and experience that I had, like personality testing and, um, you know, some of the more career development exercises that I had been through and take all of that information and analyze it in a way and say, where does that lead me? And what am I passionate about? Because to your question earlier, Jake, about w what was it that meant that you weren't just I'll just stay where I am, clock in and clock out. I've got an office job. It's well paid, like it's well respected. There's nothing wrong with that. But I wasn't passionate about it. There's people out there who want to be in finance. They want to crunch numbers all day. They want to 
be a trader or a hedge fund manager or work in that environment, I hadn't really ever made that decision. I'd sort of fallen into it. I didn't feel genuine in that environment. And then that started to kind of eat away at me. So I think whatever it is that you find, whatever passion it is you have, it has to be something that you're genuinely, genuinely wanting to pursue. Not something that someone else has said to you, oh, that would be really good for you. You need to believe in your gut. If I go and do that, if I go into music, I know I can be successful at it. How important is that visualization for you to believe that you're going to be a huge success? And, you know, we talk often on the podcast about what's the point thinking you're not going to be successful. All that's going to do is create more obstacles and more problems. So did you have a visualization of where you wanted your business and where you wanted your artists to be in a few years time or anything? Um, I didn't know when it would be, but I had this goal idea I was like, one day I will get to the Grammy Awards. And that's not to say that that is everything. I wouldn't want to kind of give the idea that that's like the only important Mm, thing. Because actually working with artists who are creating art that you like getting first mixes back of songs, like there's nothing, I just cannot, the excitement of being part of that process and being given the opportunity to be a part of then enabling people to hear it like that's the most important thing but in terms of like a goal I'm going to go from Goldman and I'm going to get to the Grammys I mean it's good because it's got some alliteration and it's you know yeah. my I like literature. Goldman to the Grammys I like that <laughs> you know it's like it's quite satisfying but and it's it rolls also still aiming high I mean you're not saying I'm going to go from Goldman and and manage an artist you're saying I'm going to go from Goldman to the biggest music awards on the planet that's a big that's a leap it is and I think you know I've listened to a lot of the um, sports personalities that you've had on the podcast and I it's the same as someone at some point saying one day I'm going to get to the Olympic Games Mm. and that's the thing that keeps getting them up in the morning that day when you're like oh yesterday was awful I had a disagreement with someone I do not want to do this today If I don't, I'm not going to get there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I see lots of parallels. I know you speak about it, Jake, where when people come and ask you, how do you get into TV Mm. work? And you say, well, why not you? Why shouldn't it be you? Yeah. And it seems that you've come at, you've come at, from a time of personal crisis in your life, you've said, well, why shouldn't I do this? Why right. Why shouldn't I do that? Absolutely. Like to go kind of back to that idea of nature versus nurture, I think some of that is there's something within all of us where we can do that. Like I, I think that there's no one who is incapable of, of doing that, but tapping into it is a whole different ball game. And 
I had a teacher when I was at school, I was doing my A-levels and it was actually the headmaster was my English teacher. And we went to like a parents evening. He said, you know, what, how are you feeling about your grades? Like, what do you think might happen in your mock exams or whatever? And I was like, a C probably is realistic, but a B if I work really hard. He said, if you think like that, the highest you will ever achieve is a B. Yeah. You will never get an A if you right now are sitting here and telling me that the best you're going to do is a B. You need to think I'm going to aim for an A. And I got it. Love it. Which Love is your, the A is your equivalent of the Grammys then? Yeah. So what's next then? What's A star for you next? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think... Maybe survival in the yeah, current climate. And, and I think we should be really frank with people here. Expect struggle. I don't want people to listen to this podcast and go, it's all right for Charlie. She had a great job in the city. She gave it up. She ended up wanting to go to the Grammys with Yola and she bloody well did. Well, that's simple. I think we should talk about the struggle. Yeah. For a start, you sold your house yeah. to fund a business, a business which I would imagine is making zero pence at the moment yeah. because the entire music industry yeah. has shut down. And that must be incredibly scary for you. It is. Um, my house selling process was very difficult and traumatic. It was 14 months. And at one point I thought I'm going to end up losing the house and I will lose all of the equity in it. The only way you could set this business up was to sell the house. Were you totally dependent? Yeah. Oh, I mean, wow. I, I had set the business up a little bit before that with a small amount of money that I had, but I knew that in order to play in the kind of stratosphere that I wanted to be in I needed to be able to in some way fund myself and any business three to five years before you are really cooking on gas and I had worked really hard to buy that flat I absolutely loved it if I could have picked it up anywhere in the world and taken it with me I would have done but I also that's where all my money had sat like I'd bought it on my own and you know, I was the only one that I had to look after. And I thought, right, well, if I if I sell it, I've got some money there that I can. And I kind of needed it to sell when I made that decision rather than 16 months later. So in the interim, I had borrowed money from family, friends, godparents. Like I was racked up on credit cards. Like, you know, I was really all in. And the day that I got an email to say that the first lady was she was walking away from the sale, I absolutely crumbled to the point where I came down the stairs. I was staying with my parents and I came down the stairs and my mum thought that someone had died. She was like, what is wrong? And I was inconsolable. And that day I had to go and meet Yola's new record label for the first time. And I was like, how am I going to do this? What I just, I, I don't know how I'm going to pick myself up and have this meeting and talk about stuff which is really really important but also in this moment I couldn't really care less about what a marketing plan might look like because I'm about to lose everything like I don't know where the next mortgage payment is going to come from so we're kind of screwed at this wow. point and I just I text Yola and I text her lawyer Luke who I was having the meeting with and I just text them and I said please just don't ask me how I am or what's happened. I'll talk to you about it afterwards, but I need to just go in and do this meeting. Like, and I just, I had to just game redo face. my makeup. Game face. Mm. Absolutely. Game face in the meeting. And then afterwards went for a couple of strong gin and tonics, I think. Brilliant. <laughs> wow. But it has been a struggle, you know. Um, and that's important and to tell people that, I think, you know. Absolutely. And this year... All of that money has been invested into my business and kept me alive and going. And, you know, it's a lot to travel. It's very, it's an expensive industry. I mean, you don't have overheads in as much as like, you know, I don't have a shop or stock. But in order to do my job, I need to be able to book flights and stay in hotels and sustain myself away from home. So it's paid for all of that. And this year was going to be the first time that I would have been able to pay myself something. And I'm not. Because <laughs> of COVID. Yeah. Because of COVID. 
I love the idea you spoke about this, uh, that you and the artist will often support and sustain each other where Yola sometimes says you, you need to take time for yourself here. When you started to decide that you were going to go into the music industry, you know, there's the old saying that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Who was your guide on the initial stages of that journey? There's been different people along the way and I've spent quite a lot of time traveling back and forth to Nashville and there are some amazing female leaders um, within the music industry there and I feel very embraced by that community. I think some of it is, you know, there's not many five foot one tall British ladies with a boy's name who walk into meeting rooms. So You sold yourself well there as a USP. That's my USP, you know, but they continue to present themselves. And, you know, when we were in LA in January, I got a message from a manager who I have long admired. And she messaged me and said, oh my God, I've just seen Yola perform can I meet you? And I was like, yes, <laughs> I'd love to sit down and have a chat with you. She's John Legend's manager, um, a lady called Ty. And I would definitely say that I was kind of needing another visionary. And I'm not sure that I completely like the term mentor. And maybe that's my business background where like, you know, you had mentors, you had to meet them certain time, you know, yeah periodically and report back and but i'll tell you the image that i have in my head as we're talking that um the film equivalent of it would be something like lord of the rings but it all dates back to the concepts of the hero's journey the work of a guy called joseph campbell that says when you set off on a new adventure and you leave in the world of finance to go off on this there's five stages to that journey you have the dream stage where you're excited about you think the music industry is somewhere your skills could be utilized the leap stage of selling your house and going for it and then the struggle bit in the middle where you're in that fight stage before you get to progress and you get to the arrival of the Grammys and that process is always ongoing we're always somewhere within it yeah and that seems to me like a really apt image for where you are that you're constantly engaged in that hero's journey of setting off on these adventures definitely and it also depends on what your artist is doing at any one time. So I guess in some ways you could say that each album is like that journey. You know, you kind of, you go through that process of setting it all up, doing the budgets, finding a producer, working with a record label, all of that. And then you make the leap and they go into the studio and you don't really know as a manager what's going to come out at the other end all the time. Um, if you're just, you know, allowing that creative space, which I think is, you know, the right the right thing to do, certainly for me and the artists that I'm working with. And then, yeah, you know, you then get a record at the other end of it and you have to start that journey again. Um, but there's a bit in the middle that's often referred in psychological literature. It's known as Cantor's Law. There's, it's named after a lady called Ross Cantor that says, when you're in the middle of any project, it always looks and feels like a failure because you're not far enough to get to the end, but you're too far to go back. And I think the more you go through that, the better equipped you are at doing it. And yeah. I think you've been through that journey enough times that you know how to get through that messy middle where cancer's law strikes. And that's where most people give up. Yeah. So if there was one bit of advice you could give to a listener to say, how do you get through those tough times in the middle? What would you say it is based on your experience in the music industry? I think it's probably different for different people. Yep. I shared a, a quote on Instagram the other day, which is a, I love it. It's an Eleanor Roosevelt quote. She said, being a woman is like being a tea bag. You don't know how strong you are until you're put in hot water. And it's those moments that make you. The realization that we were in Texas with a tour bus with a weekend of shows planned and then coming off stage and someone going, sorry, not today. I'm working out with a tour manager how to get everyone back to Nashville with the bus. In those moments, it's like crisis management. And I think that some people can be phased by that. Other people just dig in. And you have to just get on with it. And you're not always going to get it right. That's the other thing. You have to be prepared that in those moments, like, and like this year, we won't get everything right. You know, we will have said, 
yes to some things that, you know, might have been a bit too early and we might have said no to other things that ultimately would have paid off. You have to then regroup and say, oh, actually, maybe we should have done that. How is your relationship with failure? I think you've spoken about it on the podcast before. It's where you learn. I don't want to be in an environment where no one will accept failure. You have to say, okay, that didn't work that time. I don't necessarily view something as a failure that other people might view as a failure. I would well, if you're always it, learning, then you, by definition, never fail. It's an Exactly. It's an opportunity to say, okay, we're not going to do it like that again. And I'm glad that it's happened now because if it happened in four years' time, it would have made a way bigger storm. So I'm glad that I had that experience. And I think, yeah, having the ability to say, I'm okay with that. If I hadn't have felt that I had failed in finance, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. You know, at the time, I mean, it was awful. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't wish feeling like that on my worst enemy. But now, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm like, well, it's not going to be that bad again. Why not? Let's go and do it. (laughs) I think that you are the epitome of a high-performance life because I think that all of the things that we talk about, whether it is taking a risk and not sitting in the comfy chair, whether it is dealing with failure and struggle, when it comes your way, whether it's making the leap in the first place when the time might not feel right because the time never feels right, whether it is taking great personal risk and selling your own house to set up a business, all of those things are high performance. But also, if your mindset is right, all of those are things that anyone can do if they're brave enough. So do you believe that anyone can live a high performance life? I think that everyone can. I don't think that everyone necessarily should or would enjoy it. Right. Why? What are the elements that they might not enjoy? um, I mean, it's an unknown. It's It's like riding a roller coaster with a blindfold whilst trying to spin plates. (laughs) You know, that's what you have to, like, I spend a lot of time trying to wrangle something that is in some ways uncontrollable you know like this year we had the whole year mapped out we knew we were like patting ourselves on the back like that's obviously not going to happen now given that you know we're not earning any money there's still loads of work to do but if we become too focused on that and wound up in well, what's the point you know yeah what we've got to do is say right what can we do to be ready as soon as this picks back up again, how can we use the time to best arm ourselves for that? What are the things that we might be able to do and look at which could bring in some revenue? But we're still in the storm at the moment. And I think it is, it's important as well to take time to say, do you know what? I am really, I'm gutted. I'm really disappointed. Like what, was supposed to happen this year to our business hasn't happened. And you've spoken a lot about fault versus responsibility. Like none of this is any of our faults. Like we couldn't have done anything any different to bring any kind of different outcome. But actually in doing that, I felt like that's what I needed to do. And I came out the other end and I was like, okay, it's not what it was. I'm okay. Like I have processed that I am disappointed and I'm responsible for making sure that 2020 isn't a complete write-off. <laughs> I think you are an absolute inspiration and I think your mindset is almost like your suit of armour and I think it's such a great listen for people mm. who perhaps for a long time have been verging on making the leap, making the big decision, but it doesn't feel like the time is right and you know, the message from you is loud and clear. The time will never be right. right. The struggle will always be there. The sacrifice will be never-ending. But it's better to do that than half live your life doing something that you, you don't want to do. So thank you so much for thank sharing you. with us. Thank you very much. We always much. finish with our quick fire questions. Yeah. Here we go then. The three non-negotiable behaviours that anyone who's hanging around with Charlie Pierce has to uh, buy into. Number one is empathy and emotional intelligence. Like my whole business is people whether it's the artists I manage, whether it's other people within the industry. Damien, you shared something on your Instagram this morning 
that really hit home about character. The John Modern quote. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, your character is everything. And, you know, I spent a long time in an environment where I was told that perception is reality. And I'm like, no, no. Like, what someone else thinks of me doesn't really matter but how I deal with other individuals and my character and therefore the those around me um is incredibly important um I think relentless perseverance and ambition like I don't want to work with people who are just like mm, you know well, it might be all right like, you're all in or you're not in at exactly, all. exactly yeah you've got to be all in um and then open-minded optimism what advice would you give a teenage charlie just starting out i wish i'd had more confidence like it took me a long time to feel comfortable in my own skin um and when i was at university i joined the officers training corps and you know that really gave me some leadership experience that i mean otherwise i don't think i would be doing any of this because I wouldn't I just wouldn't have been able to stand up in front of people walk into a room and have a conversation like that so it definitely gave me some self-belief but I think I'd also say like you know you you will find your path and it might not feel at the time that you're on the most direct route but ultimately once you get on the right path you will have all the skills that you need to be successful and I'm often asked, do you ever regret doing, you know, having your career in finance? Absolutely not. I don't want to regret anything. I think everything that you've been through teaches you a lesson. I gained skills that arguably other managers don't have or they have to pick up along the way. Like you'll find your way in the end. Just persevere and stick with it. How important is legacy to you? I think... Legacy for me is actually what you do day to day to make a difference in the world. So, you know, finding ways to use your skills or the position that you're in, in order to make a difference. So in early March, I was out in Nashville and there were some really horrendous tornadoes that hit the city and the surrounding areas. And um, I, <laughs> I heard the sirens go off and I was like, oh. He's flipping sirens like they've gone off before while I've been there and it's been kind of a bit of a false alarm. And it turns out that it was not a false alarm. And actually it was, um, I mean, parts of the city were absolutely devastated. And um, my friend who I was staying with, we were fine. But I got a phone call from Angelina, who I manage. Well, I think I had texted her and said, are you all right? Can you know, are you? and she called me and said, can you please come and pick me up and evacuate me because we've got trees down, we've got no power. She has got just over one year old, like I need to get out. And she was going to stay with one of her band members. And, you know, I drove over, I couldn't get within 10 blocks of her house because of the destruction. I mean, it was like, like witnessing a war zone. And so I got her to where she needed to be into safety. And I got back in the car and I phoned up Yola's agent and I was like Johnny like can we do something like I know this has just happened but like can we organize a night like there's going to be people in town whose shows are cancelled and this that and the other can we put something together and he was like yeah absolutely come to the office so at two o'clock that day I arrived at his office with my laptop and we just started calling people and seven days later we put on a show with 13, 15 artists and raised half a million dollars. Amazing. What a story. That's a, that, that's a legacy. Right. Yeah. And so I think often when people think about legacy, it's like something that's just way down in the future. And like once I've made it and I've been doing this for 20 years and I can afford to, then I'll you know, care. right. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah. you know, yeah. once I can aff afford to give 20% of my profits to charity or whatever, like, and I just kind of, I wanted to help. It was that innate, like, I need to help this community that has embraced me so much. And it was like buying a chainsaw and probably doing myself and others damage not the <laughs> is right not thing. the best yeah. thing, but we can do something else. Like, you know. 
That's amazing. Really good. Um, last question then, Charlie. What, what is your one golden rule to live a high-performance life? Do not be afraid to look after yourself. Like that, our, our tour manager with Yola, Katrina, she's like, she's a godsend. And she always says, you put on your own oxygen mask first. And you cannot help anyone else without making sure that you, and that's a really hard thing to do. And I am not always successful at doing it. You know, it quite often takes someone else to say, you're right just checking you okay but I am getting better at it and I think you know in order and that's not to say you have to be selfish or but you do need to recognize what your needs are in order to run your business help other people leave a legacy all of those great things that we've talked about thank you so much for coming and sharing with us on the podcast it's been uh, it's been a great conversation thank you very much oh, thank you damien jake it's just a reminder i think that there will be so many people like charlie who don't consider themselves to be high performance they think that just because they haven't got a million instagram followers or 500 million pounds in the bank that they've they've somehow not been a success but she is testament to the fact that high performance comes in many different guises definitely i i i think what i took away from it jake was just her courage in action you know her ability to back herself and then to actually put it into action, I think there's lots of people that have dreams that maybe they're in jobs that they don't like or that don't give them the satisfaction. But I think to hear Charlie describe the courage it took for her to hit rock bottom in the banking job that she was doing and then use that as a springboard to look at what skills and talent she had and how she could utilise that in the world of music that she wanted to go into. I just found it incredibly inspiring. I also think there's a really strong message for people that to do the right thing, you don't have to wait until doing the right thing is easy. You know, she was talking to us about the fact that it's been a horrendous year for anyone involved in the music industry. And she's, you know, working hard to make sure she's still got a roof over her head and she wants to come out the other side and work with her artists. Yet still, as she said on the podcast, she still wants to do the charity stuff. She still wants to do the right thing. She still wants to give a voice to people who don't have a voice. And I think all too often people go, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm really going to do the charity stuff. I'm really going to have a conscience but I'm just going to wait till I've got five million quid in the bank and it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And I don't think we should all live like that. No, definitely not. There's an old saying, Jake, that a principle is not a principle until it costs you money. You know, and I think that's the same in terms of what Charlie demonstrated there, that a dream isn't something tangible until you've actually taken a step towards it. And, you know, whether that was selling a flat that she described there or whether it is the charity work that she's still doing, even in these straightened times, I think it's somebody that is just, a brilliant demonstration of values in action. It's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because it's amazing how often you see people who are keen to tell you about something amazing they've done, but you kind of know that it hasn't really cost them anything, if that, if if you know what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, it almost feels like there are some things in life that you have to be poorer after. And I'm not talking about financially either. I'm talking about in every respect, you know, things that have to cost you. Yeah, definitely. I think, again, it's like, a nice test that I do when I go and work with teams or work with leaders in businesses is I ask them to apply the diary and the wallet test to what they do, where I say that this is what you've told me you stand for. Now let's have a look at how much time you invest in it and how much money you're prepared to put by these values that you tell me that you're doing. Because we're wired that we don't follow hypocrites. We don't follow people that tell us a good story and then don't back it up, whether that's with their effort that they put into it or the money that they're prepared to invest behind it. And mm. that's something that's true in all aspects of life, whether you go into sports teams, businesses, or you meet people that are following the dreams of their own, like Charlie's just demonstrated. I think it's also, it's an important lesson in taking people along for the journey with you. I'll give you a quick story about when the coronavirus pandemic hit and Whisper Group, you know, the production company that I've got, we yeah. had to have a really hard conversation with the staff. And... I remember chatting on the phone to Sunil, who's the the, um, the CEO, and he said, Look, I'm really worried that when we say to our staff, we need some of you to take a pay cut so the business can survive, um, that it won't be very well received. And then I had to remind him, Sunil, 
before you ask them to do that, you're going to announce to the team that for the duration of this pandemic, you're going to take zero salary. And by the way, he doesn't have millions of pounds in the bank. That genuinely hits him in the pocket. But he said to the staff, every penny I earn, I'm not going to take. And that salary is going to go to those of you who are earning not a very high wage and us asking you to lower that wage is just too much if you're living in London and you won't be able to survive. So his salary went to other people. And I think once you say that, and he found once he said that, the reaction of the people around him that you're also asking to to sacrifice something, it was very different. It's, it's about a shared journey, right? Definitely. I think that when people tell you what their values are, people make a decision that they, if they feel in alignment with you, they then feel so much closer to you when you behave with integrity in it. You know, I know that I've said this to you privately on a few occasions that I think one of the things that I really admire about you, Jake, is that you talk about being a family man and then I see the sacrifices you do to get back home on a daily basis, even when it'd be easy to stay away, you know, but to be there for the kids in the morning when you get up is something that it's a value in action. You say that that's something important mm. to you and then it costs you time and it costs you sleep to get back home to be there and demonstrate that you're yeah. a family man. And I think it doesn't matter whether we're talking business or whether it's a personal domain, these values and being really clear about them and telling people and then asking people to hold you to account to them are what separate the good from the great in any environment. And look at the leaders that have joined us on the podcast. You know, the, I mean, the one that stands out for me is Clive Woodward. You know, when he talks about his teamship rules, he was expected to follow the same rules as the players that, that were coming up with those rules. I just wonder how often... You've gone into an elite environment and you've worked with someone towards the top, one of the leaders who's struggling to get people to buy into it. And then you point out to them that the things you're asking them to do, you're not doing. Yeah. Does that, is that a common thing? It can be. Yeah, certainly it can be. I think, um, I think success is sometimes a really interesting factor that's overlooked in a lot of high performing cultures that there's the old saying that failures often born a bastard and success has got many fathers. And it's the idea that. Lots of people start claiming credit for success and sometimes lose sight of the real principles and values that got them there. You know, it might be, there was the famous story years ago of that Premier League coach that gave an interview complaining about the baby Bentley culture and then showed up two months later driving a baby Bentley. So when you hear the story of managers losing dressing rooms, speaking to players, it's often because they what they say against how they behave is fundamentally different and we're hardwired not to follow hypocrites. So, yeah, sometimes it does take that discreet conversation to remind them that they're not actually living up to the behaviours they're asking everyone else to demonstrate. Yeah. And you know, when, when you talk about people kind of living in a silo and not really aware of what those around them are sacrificing or how those around them are living, you're totally right to sort of point that out, I think, because... Um, all around us, we see examples of people who kind of lack the empathy or the um, the emotional intelligence to realise that no one gets to where they are. Not a single person I've ever met has got to where they are in their life. It's exactly the same as you, whether it's working on this podcast, meeting these high performance individuals or going into teams. If those people believe they're there because it's solely down to their graft, their hard work, their success, their self-discipline, blah, 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 then they're removing any... Um, credibility that they should be giving to the country they were born in, the fact they had came from a stable background or the fact that they just so happened to walk into a job interview at exactly the right time. You know, you've got to be aware of everything. We're not sort of individual, you know what I mean, in yeah. this universe. Everything's swirling around us. And often without us even seeing it, it's kind of impacting us. And I think it's dangerous to assume, oh, yeah, it's just yeah. It's my own brilliance, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, like you're on a slippery slope once you start claiming credit for everything because by definition, then you have to take accountability for everything as well. And that means that when it goes wrong, you can't make excuses, you can't point the finger, you can't offer mitigation. So yeah, I think like a big phrase that we often use on the podcast is humility. And humility isn't about thinking less of yourself. It's just about thinking of yourself less. You know, it's that idea of recognizing that other people have played their part along the way. I'm writing that one down. Humility, <laughs> not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I love that, mate. Um, look, Damien, thank you as always for, for joining us on this um, extra episode of the High Performance Podcast. That Every single time 
I listen back to these interviews that we've done on this particular one with Charlie Pierce we recorded a few months ago when it was when it, at that time it was okay to all get together. There's things that I've heard, wanted to remember and learn, and then realised six months later when I listened to them back that I haven't actually remembered that at all. It kind of slips through your fingers like sand, doesn't it, these lessons that we learn? So I'm so pleased we get a chance to do this and sit and listen back to them. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a real privilege. Again, people may... I hope pick up on the warmth that came from Charlie when we sat down with her. You know, she was an infectious, warm, really uh, engaging personality. And no ego as well. I think it's always important to remind people it's okay to be successful at the top of your game and really nice as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, listen, talking to nice people. Damien, thank you very much. Nice to see you. Yeah, you too. Thanks to everyone who's been involved in this week's uh, High Performance Podcast episode. Thanks to Will. Thanks to Hannah. Thanks to Finn at Rethink Audio as well for his hard work. But most of all, thanks to you. Um, The numbers for the podcast at the moment are really incredible. We're flying up the charts and it's all to do with you guys at home, not just listening to the podcast, but most importantly of all, hopping onto your social media and sharing it with other people because I just think there's always someone that you don't know needs to hear these podcasts and they do. So sharing it just might make that difference. So thanks for that. Thanks for the ratings. Thanks for the reviews. And thanks for being part of our high performance community from myself, from Damien and everyone at the High Performance Podcast. Have a brilliant day and there's a new episode coming your way very soon. See you later. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.